Um, yes, on. All right. So, um, welcome just everybody. And for a second, Sally, I'm just unmuting, unmuting everybody um, while Sensei's talking. Okay. Okay. Go for it, Sensei. Okay. Well, this is session three of our four-part Dharma study on the Heart Sutra. And um, I'll just start by reading the piece of the Heart Sutra that we're going to be looking at today. This is, so next week will be the last one. Um, so the part that we're looking at today is no ear, eye, nose, tongue, body, mind, no colour, sound, smell, taste, touch, or what the mind takes hold of, nor even act of sensing. No ignorance or end of it, nor all that comes of ignorance. No withering, no death, no end of them. Nor is there pain or cause of pain or noble path to lead from pain, not even wisdom to attain, attainment to is emptiness. So uh, just before we get into this, just, um, um, just as we have in, in last week, just a little bit of review of what we were looking at last time as a kind of refresher to get us into the space where we've been talking. So the, the last two sessions have been pretty much focused on the five skandhas. And... Um, I came across a, um, a quote that I thought could be helpful for people, um, and I can't remember now what sutra this comes from, but the statement is, the five aggregates, that's the skandhas, when grasped at, are suffering. And the important point here, and Thich Nhat Hanh makes this point, is that, that the speaker here did not say the five aggregates are in themselves suffering. Um, but that when we grasp at them, they are. Um, and so sometimes people will talk about the upadana skandhas, which means the skandhas that we grasp at, or the grasped at skandhas. So that's to clarify. And, and there's a little story which kind of illustrates this, which is quite nice, and it helps to, us to remember what was being talked about here. It's a story of a, a stray dog, and somebody picks up a clod of earth and throws it at the dog, and the dog then barks at the clod <laughs> and doesn't then thinks the clod is the one that has been that has hurt him when in fact it's the person throwing the clod that is the one the dog should be barking at if if if, if he's going to bark at anybody um, and that's just to remind us it's not the skander it's not our our feelings our thoughts or anything like that that is the problem it's the way that we attach to them or push them away um, and so one of the reasons why we can, can be helpful to study the five skandhas is that um, because they're the constituents of our experience, if we can recognize them, um, then we can practice with them and respond to them in a, in a um, more uh, wise kind of a way. So a couple of weeks ago, people asked if we could had the stuff that was on the chart showing all, all the, the way the skandhas get broken down, um, if we could have one to hand out to people. And I have found a summary. It's not a chart so much, but it is a summary of the five skandhas, and I'll be giving it out at the end of today's session so people can take it home and have a look at it. That way, if you do have questions or comments, then you can bring them to the last session um, a week from today. <coughs> so... What we're going to be looking at today, this is where the, this chant sort of branches out. It's been focused on the skandhas up to this point, but now it's, it's um, 
coming from a slightly different direction. And in this short piece, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 11 lines, um, it touches on the 18 dato, datu or realms, the 12 nidana, the 4 arya satya, um, and that's the um, realm, the sense realms, the links of dependent co-arising, the Four Noble Truths, and then it talks a little bit at the end about attainment of prajna, or liberated wisdom. Liberative wisdom. So it's a lot in 11 lines, and, um, and we're going to look at each of these um, and, and uh, see how they relate back to the skandhas, or how we, how we work with the skandhas. So the first <coughs> one, it says, no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, no colour, sound, smell, taste, touch, or what the mind takes hold of. So what that is a kind of compression of um, the 18 datu. And the 18 datu or realms are made up of the six sense faculties, so that's the ordinary senses plus the, the mind, the discursive mind. The six sense objects, which is the kinds of things that we sense with the five ordinary senses plus the, our thoughts, what we sense with the mind, thoughts and feelings. And then... Um, the sixth sense consciousnesses, and this this is really important to understand that that all of that uh, senses and the sense objects um, relate to each other by means of the sixth sense consciousnesses. So it's it's the part that is the relationship between our senses and a sense objects. Um, so this is you could say that this is just another way of cutting up the pie of our experience. We've seen how the five skandhas um, break down our experience, and this is just another one, another way of, do, of looking at it. And I think I had something to put up here. Okay, Kahanya, this is the one that it has the the um So this is the different types of consciousness. I think that's the right one. Yeah. So the first part is the four the five ordinary senses, and then the mind. So that's the, um, the the six ones that are referred to here. We'll talk about the other ones later. <coughs> so um, one of the points from a Zen point of view in in looking at this is that um, immediately we can say that the physical world has a mental component um, in that we can't apprehend anything without the six consciousnesses. Um, the eye can't experience visual objects, the nose can't experience sensory objects, etc., without there being a consciousness, um, a, a, a way of processing that what comes into the senses by the mind. 
um, and there's lots of neuroscience about this. Um, and we mentioned also um, Oliver Sacks the other week. Um, a lot of his writings are very much about the way that we process, the way that the brain processes its experience. And I'd really recommend, if you want to get a real insight into, into that, I'd recommend all his writing in terms of um, getting a sense of, of the relationship between the, the sense organ and the sense object, what is, goes between that in that space. Um, so the, the physical world has this mental component of um, how we process in, uh, inputs, sensory inputs, and then the, you could say the mental world has a physical component, the brain and the nervous system, um, which is conditioned by it, how it experiences sight, sound, smells, tastes, tactile sensations, and its own thoughts and emotions and symbols as well, because language comes in there. And so this is, you can see that this is where the, the, the Zen saying comes from, body and mind are not two. Body and mind are not two. There's this intimate relationship between them. They're not the same, uh, but you can't, you can't uh, separate them completely. Uh, the, our consciousness... This processing um, is is always directed um, to the past or the future. In that um, we talk in in practice about nen. This is what when we chant the uh, Kanzai On Sutra in in the Japanese um, nen nen furi shin nen nen. How's it going? Yeah, anyway, those nen, nen nens at the end are talking about thought moments. This moment arises from mind. This moment itself is mind. So a nen is a very, very short period of time. Um, and this Kanon Sutra is reminding us that every, every nen is a true, na, a true mind, you could say. But we experience things in the first nen, that first thought moment. Then the moment after, we pro kind of process it or interpret it or try and understand it. Um, only, the teaching is that only sensation happens in the present. And that's a really important point, and it's why we, we um, all the, the practices, basic practices we do, um, are based on a particular sensation. So if you're doing the breath practice, it's based on awareness of the physical sensations of the breath as we breathe in and breathe out. Um, so it's, it's, it's based on the tactile sensations. If your practice is listening to um, sounds, then it's based on, on auditory sensations. Um, <coughs> in the Sarangama Sutra, um, it lists the four elements, earth, air, fire and water, which is, is um, solidity, movement, heat and uh, moisture, uh, flowing, binding together, um, plus the 18 dhatu that we're looking at now as meditation objects, and it's in that sutra where we can have a, we have a description of um, Kanon's um, awakening experience and listening to sounds. So um, Master Shangin says all these different types of meditation, 18 dhatu, the four elements, um, are, the, are all doors into the same room, so you don't have to practice all of them, but just one to find entry into um, uh, true nature. 
which we never exited from, obviously. Um, the goal is in these types of meditation is to see that these datus are empty but existent, and that all phenomena um, arise from and return to emptiness. one honey that's um, got one swell of the wave at the top, top of it. Top here on this, we have the one, two, three, four, five, six consciousnesses. So that's the body and the mind, um, which are, and of course the, these are linked to the organs. You can say the organs over on this side, and the objects of the organs over on this side. And you can't, none of those can stand alone. You have to have, you have to, for, for us to experience anything, there has to be this this um, consciousness. But we understand that. If we take these these loops as waves on the surface of an ocean, and this wave here is is one uh, personality, one one being here, and this part, the body and the mind, this top part, is born and dies. But if we go to the seventh consciousnesses and the eighth consciousness, they um, persist beyond birth. So in, from the seventh conscious onwards, there isn't birth or death. But in between um, storehouse consciousness and these um, body and mind level is something called the manas or conveyor, seventh consciousness. It's also known as the persistent eye awareness. And um, I'll just say a little bit about that and that con consciousness. So the seventh consciousness um, is called the manas or conveyor. Um, it continuously and strongly holds the sense of health, self. You can grant it as being like a receptionist. It makes decisions based on really deeply rooted ideas of what is and is not beneficial to the self. That is, its actions are based on self-grasping and self-identity. For this reason, it's also called the afflictive consciousness. So you could say it gets inputs from the five, the, the six senses, and then it makes choices about what it does with those inputs. And um, based on a sense of self. Um, and then the eighth consciousness is, or the alaya, or storehouse, is... It's, that's the basis of our personality and, and character. And it, it's like a repository of all the karmic seeds um, generated by the mind in response to phenomena. So this middle one is sort of like a conveyor between our senses and the storehouse, also known as the alaya vijnana. And um, so the, the storehouse is a little bit like um, the, the um, personal in, unconscious 
and so it's where the seeds of our, our actions uh, are deposited. So if you imagine Can you tilt the screen a little bit, please, Sensei? How's that? Yeah, I don't think it's going to work, but maybe just talk it through. Oh, that's maybe a little better. So, so, say, say there's, there's a seed down here in our, in our Laya Vijnana, and um, this is the, the manas here in between the, the conveyor. Say it's a seed of it's a seed of generosity, a feeling of wanting to offer something to somebody, and so from that seed we get an action resulting. But then the action itself plants a seed. So you get this sense of a little peak, um, a triangle going from the seed to the action in the world. And that could be an action of thought, speech, or or mind, and then. And then that plants another seed in the Alaya's Vijnana, but then from that seed there comes another action. And that's, you get this in, in, in Buddhism when we talk, or in Zen especially, we talk about um, cause and effect are one. So it's like if, we, if each time we, we make an action, we plant a seed, and then the seed becomes the the impulse for the future action. So this makes it clear why, why what we do matters, because each time we, we um, act in, in a sense where we're put laying down a groove in the mind, you could say, if we took it right in terms of neuroscience, we'd say um, uh, neurons that fire together wire together. So we create a kind of groove in the mind, and it's likely to be harder and harder to um, react against that sense of groove or the sense of habitual force that's laid down in the, in the, in the Alaya Vishnana. So that's why the precepts become really important because they shape our mind, they sculpt our mind. And um, so that's why we do Jakai <laughs> because it's not enough. I mean, sitting is wonderful, but there also has to be this work on the mind um, in our, through our actions and our thoughts. So um, this is, you know, this whole this Dharma study series, you know, is to is to I guess to illuminate why we take the precepts, which we're going to be doing um, in a couple of weeks. I thought it was further away, but it's only a couple of weeks, right? Mm. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's that's the sort of the um, if you get the sense of of what the relationship between our, the storehouse and, and our, our actions in the world. So this could be wholesome or unwholesome. Um, and that's where the, that ch the chart I'm going to give out about the, the skandhas is useful because it, it, has a, it has a list of what you could say are wholesome skandhas um, and unwholesome ones, samskaras rather. So, um, of course, all the breakdowns you could you could chop, chop things up a different way, but that's um, it's just helpful to have an awareness of what is considered by the wise to be wholesome or unwholesome.
Um, we can put, put a lot of energy. Can you see me, Hanya? Yep. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the point here is that we can put a lot of energy and effort into trying to change our environment when actually the, the, the basic source of our happiness and unhappiness has more to do with uh, mental factors and working on um, changing or sculpting those, those um, mental factors. Um, just give you, just take an example to, to make it clearer. So you've got um, at home, you've got a meditation cushion set up in some part of your house. Um, what do you, when you walk past that meditation cushion, there are th kind of three possibilities of how you might experience it, that cushion. So you could glance over the, at the cushion and feel enthusiasm because you know you're going to sit later and you're really looking forward to it. Or you could possibly experience dread if you're feeling guilty about not having sat recently and so the cushion actually gives you a kind of negative feeling. Or um, you could experience um, a neutral feeling. You just, you know, just you just see a meditation cushion. You don't have any particular feeling about it. But the the, the what is what you're experiencing when you see that cushion um, is shaped by what's in your alaya vishnana, and then it's conveyed to your into your awareness. You could say by that manas, that um, persistent eye awareness. Um, so again, again, there's a cause and effect is happening there. Um, the cause. To, so if if you do have a if you do have say a negative feeling, just to you know that there's it's not that the it could, that cushion is inherently one way or another, but that it becomes coloured by our reactions. And it's the same with people. You know, probably everybody here has had that experience of of meeting somebody and you just don't click. You know, you, you just have there's something between you where where um, you just don't get on well or you don't communicate. Um, and that's probably to do with, you know, some discord between your karmic seeds in, in relation to each other. Or the other way, you fall in love. Why do you fall in love? You know, it's because there's some, there's some deep resonance with the other person. Um, So um, the 18 data, we, we could spend a lot more time with this, but we'll stop and go on to the next part. Where does memory fit in with... In, in Sorry, what did you say, Ted? Where does memory fit in? Memory is stuck, the stuff gets stored, and that's the idea of the Laya Vajnaya gets stored in the Laya Vajnaya. That's why it's called a um, storehouse consciousness. Um, So the next part, no ignorance, nor end of it, nor all that comes of ignorance, no withering, no death, no end of them. So again, this is like a, a telegraphic version. Um, no ignorance, nor end of it, nor all that comes of ignorance, no withering, no death, no end of them. Um, we get ignorance, and then we get... Um, old age and death. 
Ignorance is the first of the 12 links of dependent co-arising, and old age and death are the last of the 12 links. Uh, this is Pratitya Samuppada. So this is where we're shifting now to another way of cutting up reality. This is another way we can, can look at being alive in the world. Um, and in the original it sort of says like, and everything in between. It's, it's just implied in our translation, but it's like it's saying, no ignorance, um, nor any of the other 12 links of dependent co-arising. That's what it's really saying. Um, now, this is, this is this ignorance that's referred to here is um, uh, our kind of fundamental ignorance, our, our sense of being separate, um, our sense of um, I am something, I am special. Um, the word used um, in the Sanskrit is avidya, and it basically means not clear. So, in other words, we're not clear about the nature of reality. So we divide the world into 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 subject and object, and so that's not we're not clear about. And um, usually, traditionally, divided up into three types of ignorance. There's cognitive ignorance. That's our fundamental ignorance. The view that we see things in terms of self and other. And then um, affective ignorance, which is um, the three poisons, attachment, aversion, delusion. So these arise out of that sense of self. And we either attach to things, we, we push them away, or we're, we ignore them, we, we're indifferent to them. And then perceptual ignorance, which is our distorted views. And again, we can understand these it's based on this, um, the Elijah Vajnana that um, we don't see things absolutely clearly because um, they get they get they get distorted by our emotional reactions. Um, so this is very you know this this part of the sutra is very challenging in the sense that it seems to be saying that the very fundamental teachings of Buddhism are nothing; <laughs> they're empty. Because um, it says no withering and death. Well, that's that's where the Buddha started. That was where he, you know, he saw a sick person, an old person, and a corpse, and these were what started him on his own journey. So you look at uh, the Buddha's um, trajectory; it's it's very much f founded on the fact of suffering. Um, but but just in case we get attached to the idea that there this is there's no such thing as suffering it's it's um, just a, something uh, uh, created it also says no end of them no withering no death no end of them so that that changes how we might understand it um, we can't, mustn't take no withering and no death to literally, it's not something saying we can get to some space outside of reality where there's no death. Uh, it's more saying, well, there's a way of working with withering and death, old age and death, where it becomes uh, less uh, solid for us and less of a problem. I think that's one way of saying it. Um, but it might help if we just get a get a picture up of the, the these twelve legs. 
see what we're talking about. So, Hanya, this is the one that headed up 12 lengths of dependent co-arising. Why does it say there's no teaching? What's that? Why does it say that there's no teaching? Where does it say that there's no uh, teaching? As in, no... Uh, uh, the, the, the fundamental teachings yeah. are nothing. Yeah, because, you know, even in the Pali Sutras, the Buddha says at the end of his life, um, I've been teaching for 49 years and I haven't said a single thing. Mm. He, he actually says that. Um, so that's, that's the point, really. It's a, it's a, I'm it's a challenging is, one. Is this where, uh, similar to, uh, I've heard like a Zen master say that he's been selling water by the river? Yes, yeah, it okay. is similar to that. Yeah. Um, So, just to, to sort of unpack, I don't know if we can, can tell me if you can see the chart, you guys online. Uh, no. Okay, all right, well we maybe it's see, better. We can see white sheets. <laughs> okay, okay, we'll just leave it, you look, look at your own sheet and I, hopefully I can be clear enough. So the Buddha also says, um, okay, yeah. if you see the 12 lengths of dependent co-arising, you see me. So he saw Can you shift the um, computer the closer to you, Sensei? Oh, sorry. Microphone and maybe the, the recorder as well. Thank you. Thanks. All right, so if you see the, the, these Pratitya Samupada, you see me, so they're very central to the teachings. And um, we start off at the top with fundamental ignorance, which is mentioned in the Heart Sutra, and then it goes all the way down to old age and death, so no withering and no death, no end of them. So um, it's quite hard to understand these steps, but I think one of the best ways to do it, to, to, to understand what the Buddha is talking about, is if you start with old age and death, you think that that was the Buddha's path, that he, he when he saw the four sights, um, sickness, old age and death, and then somebody meditating, that that was the start of his journey. So if you start actually with this, with old age and death, and you could say the Buddha, in his meditation, he might have questioned himself and said, well, okay, where, what does old age and death depend on? Well, we experience old and age and death because we were born, right? So they then go deeper and say, well, why are we born? And he would answer, well, because there was this, there's this impulse for existence, this longing to, to um, take form, to exist. And then what did that depend on? Well, it depended on our grasping and clinging at forms. That's, so we're coming up from the bottom as we go through this, this path. And then where did our grasping and clinging come from? It came from our desire, our cravings and our aversions. And where did they came, come from? Well, they came because we, we um, experienced pleasant, unpleasant and neutral sensations. So that's the Vedana. So there's some crossover we see already here between the skandhas and the, this list. So we have this on there among the skandhas as well. 
and why did we experience negative, pleasant, unpleasant, and, and neutral experiences? Well, it's because we had contact with things in our environment that gave uh, gave rise to pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experiences. And this this contact one, we can take it back to the skandhas um, that our sense sense consciousnesses make this possible, make consciousness, make contact possible. So that's another another one of the skandhas. And the other thing, of course, that makes contact possible is the five sense, the six sense faculties that we have over on the other chart: seeing, hearing, tasting, such uh, smelling. Uh, touching, and how? What do these experiences rely on? Well, there being things, phenomena, called name and form in this list that we um, come into contact with in the world. So that's that's what um, uh, the, the sense faculties rely on and are conditioned by. And then what's that dependent on? Well, the sense of ego consciousness, this dualistic consciousness that divides the world into objects, subjects and objects. Um, that that's, comes out of name and form. Right? We, our experience of, of the world gives us the, creates the illusion of a separate self. And where does this illusion of the separate self come from? Well, it comes from our karmic formations that I was talking about before, the decisions we make based on the seeds in our life of Ajnana. And where do those decisions come from? They come from this basic fundamental ignorance. So that's, that's one way of understanding going backwards that, that I found I could get my mind around it because otherwise it just seemed like, well, don't they all overlap? And they do, of course, overlap. They're, um, they're an expression of one, one process. But the, uh, the complicated thing about this is, because this is, all of this is a description, say, of, of samsara, of unenlightened existence, is that you can also understand it as being three descriptions of the same process. So this is like a shorthand, the first three at the top um, is the, depicting our past life where there was the fundamental action ignorance which gave rise to different kinds of karmic formations which were stored in the stored in the Alaya Vijnana and those experiences were coloured in such a, a way that they reinforced our sense of being separate. So that was all exists as a past life that brings us into this present life um, where uh, we have all these these things operating, name and form sense faculties, contact, sensation, desire, grasping, and coming into existence. And that's in the sense of this coming into existence, we can understand it as becoming, in other words, reinforcing our sense of, of, of ex existing separately um, because of all these, these things functioning, and they can take them as functioning together um, or in very quick succession either way. And then the future life, because of all of this, we're born again into this life, this birth, and therefore we expect um, experience old and age and death. So that's a description of our future life. So um, it's, a it's trying to um, set out why we suffer and why my life is perpetuated, why it keeps going. And um, 
we can also understand all of this schedule in this present life is happening moment by moment. So in each moment we come into existence again, we reinforce, uh, tend to reinforce our habits. And so practice is, um, you can understand it as being far, how can we find ways to interrupt or harness the, the, these processes and find a, a way to um, get a different perspective on samsara. So not not just circling through the, the um, unenlightened life, um, but finding a place where um, we can break the cycle. So um, where do you think in this process it could be broken? We can break the cycle. Any suggestions? Grasping. Grasping, yes. So this we could say, this is a pleasant experience, this is, oh, I'd like to keep holding on to that, that experience, and this would be, my, my, my life, my happiness depends on my holding on to this experience. So that one, if we don't grasp, then we don't have, then we don't reinforce the, 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 the ego, the sense of becoming, of being separate. So that's... Um, that in the, especially in the Theravada tradition, that's the one that's emphasised in terms of the practice, breaking the breaking the, the, the wheel of samsara at this point here. There's one other place, which might be be fair to say that it's maybe emphasised mm, a little bit more in the, in the Mahayana. But where's another place, place we think can break, break this, the cycle? Is it in sensation? Is it in sensation? Because then you don't, um, it forces you into the present moment. That's why you sit. Um, not, not. That's not what I'm looking for. That the sense that forcing ourselves into the present moment is more about stilling and calming the mind, bringing us into samadhi. But where else could we break, break? Oh, the ignorance. Yeah, yeah. So if we start to see through this world of, of form and see that it's all shifting and, and changing, then we won't grasp so much. So that's the other that's the other sort of key one there and there. Right, I can just move to this position here behind. Is our fundamental ignorance then based on our perception of uh, or, or not understanding impermanence fully? Not wanting things to be impermanent, things to be permanent. Um, yeah, wanting wanting um, to be more important than than other beings. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the fundamental ignorance. Yeah, so um, just a just a quote from Xi Yin, just to. Um, to reinforce this, he says, the source of our afflictions is fundamental ignorance. Fundamental ignorance is just a name for the source of afflictions. If we had no afflictions, it would be meaningless to talk of fundamental ignorance. It is like untying the knot on a balloon to discover what is inside and discovering that it is air just like what is on the outside. There's nothing special about it. There is only attachment to what is good, bad, yours or mine. We could say here only the separation between the subject and the object. 
Attachment is an expression of fundamental ignorance. One can say that attachment is the balloon. If you puncture the balloon, the air is still there. All that is gone is the balloon's functioning as attachment, or you could say separation. Hence, because of attachment, fundamental ignorance appears to be always present. Otherwise, there is no such thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a um, to get our minds around this, this that um, to 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 break the cycle by not thinking that our our happiness depends on this or that, or things that we we cling on to that we don't want to give up that we withhold. So that's why we talk about the misperception of the self. You know this this notion that we have. Um, that uh, we have to acquire certain things in order to be happy, or get rid of certain things in order to be happy. Oh, there's no for time. Okay, the next um, passage is a little bit shorter. Nor is there pain or cause of pain or noble path to lead from pain. Of course, this is referring to the Four Noble Truths, so we're getting down to the very, very central teachings of Buddhism. Um, pain is not really the best best word here. I think it was used to give, provide for a good chanting version. Notice the pain or call the pain or cease the pain. Uh, suffering would be a, would be a better word. Um, and uh, just a little bit about this this particular one. Again, this is from Master Shen Yin. Um, why um, this is about why pain is the first on this list, and this is is um, just to understand that it's not negating the first noble truths, but it's saying first we have to understand them, and then we have to let them go. Um, it's like that image that's used in the sutras of um, the raft. You use the raft to cross over to the other shore, to the shore of liberation. Then once you get there, you don't carry the raft, raft around with you. You, you leave it behind you. Um, and Master Shinyan says this, If you are unaware that you suffer, then you cannot possibly know the cause of suffering or the path to the cessation of suffering. Therefore, it is imperative that you intellectually understand the Four Noble Truths. But that is not enough. Without contemplation of the Four Noble Truths, you cannot transcend them and leave behind samsara. Finally, you must realize through contemplation the emptiness of the Four Noble Truths. Failing this, you may develop a selfish mind of renunciation concerned only with your own freedom from suffering. With no attachment to your own deliverance, you can fulfill your vow to help others. This is the Mahayana way. In, in other words, you will be ready to maybe do something that... Um, isn't going to further your own salvation, but could be helpful to to others. Um, can uh, can anybody think of an example of that, where that might be the case? That's right. Um, one example, um, you 
could say of um, and this is one that some you may have, you may have it's done this at some point or other. You have a friend who's got a bit of a drinking problem, and you've got, you're you're at a meal and you've got um, you've got a, there's a, a full bottle of wine on the table, and um, although you may want to keep the precept of not um, uh, taking intoxicants. Uh, you know that if you don't have half the bottle of wine, your friend is going to have the whole bottle of wine. <laughs> and so, out of out of a sense of protecting that person, you drink you drink half the bottle of wine. <laughs> that would be an example of where you don't you don't just stay follow the letter of the law in terms of the precepts. And so, in, t in that maybe I could talk a bit more about this on Tuesday, Taisho, in terms of the precept ceremony coming up. Where it's 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 not getting kind of into a, a place of um, being very tight about following the precepts, but but getting more of a sense of the overall what's best for the situation, and that might involve um, at times breaking a precept. Another one example would be um, you have a you have a guy with a um, a semi-automatic gun. Um, in a, on the fifth story of a building, shooting people down on the ground, and you know, to the in that situation, the only possibility may be to kill that person or at least wound them, and so that could be seen as um, a bodhisattvic uh, act, even though um, it's against the precept not to kill. Um, so there, the, you know, if you start to look into it, you find many, many, many examples like that. Um, so it's 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 the realities, you know, that come out of living in this world of samsara, not trying to withdraw from um, make, having to make these difficult decisions, but but um, entering into life, um, not seeing the skandhas as inherently um, impure, but rather. Uh, non-attachment to them being the important part. So, um, one of the one of the important points here um, is that. We, we we start with suffering because it's our most immediate experience, one of the thing that brings us often to practice, and then from that place, then we start to look into the causes and you know into our different afflictions that we have, um, and that has to be that has to really be primary in any practice, um, but it doesn't mean that we don't pay attention to social ills, um, because they're just in you know. Institutional forms of the kinds of things that we we um, we uh, suffer from in our own lives. These get sort of ingrained into into um, our our structures, our, our institutions. They get, for instance, institutional racism or things like that. And um, this one version of um, what's called the four proper exertions. Um, which illustrate how a bodhisattva might engage with others on 
um, these issues of, of the precepts. And I've, some of you will have heard me read these before because but they very much help us to understand um, where we might be coming from as, as activists, um, engaged Buddhists. And um, these have to do with effort, right, effort. And um, again, these are from Master Shengyan. He says, the four right efforts are to help others to avoid non-virtuous acts that they have not yet performed, to persuade others to cease performing non-virtuous acts, to encourage others to engage in wholesome acts not yet performed, and to urge others to nurture and expand those positive endeavours that they already perform. So that's in a sense what we might be doing, not coercing others, not judging others, but saying, you know, engaging in different issues, different um, social things, um, out of a spirit of knowing that um, to engage in things that are unwholesome uh, is to is for that for the, those people involved to be um, sowing seeds which will um, generate suffering in them, and that when they engage in wholesome acts and just acts of generosity and kindness and so forth, then they're going to be planting seeds that in the, that will generate happiness. So to be engaging in whatever um, social actions we do with that spirit is is very different from engaging from a place of judgment or animosity uh, and so forth. Um, of course, it's a pretty advanced <laughs> state of mind, but to see that that's possible, to understand that that's possible. Um. <coughs> So, nor is there pain, nor cause of pain, nor cease in pain, nor noble path to leave from pain. So, they're the first part, nor is there pain, that's the first noble truth. Then, um, we talked about the causes of pain, looking at those. Noble path to leave from pain, um, that's the um, uh, third of the, no that's the, four, that, that the fourth one. Um, I lost the, the third one. Oh, I've missed it. I've missed it out in the um, translation. Or is there pain, or cause of pain, or cease in pain, or noble path to lead from pain? So we have first we have sensation, cessation. Um, so how do we work with that? Well, we we. Um, Cessation of suffering involves like having accepted that our previous life is a result of, of seeds we've laid down in our Lavayavajnana and do as much paying back of karmic debts and ceasing from creating new negative karma. That's, that's um, <coughs> where we're coming from with, with the cessation part. And then the last one, noble path to lead from pain, that's the fourth noble truth. And I've got a sh chart, John, you can put up with the... the um, now... 
there are basically um, three parts to the old Eightfold Path. It's a part that has to do with wisdom, a part with, to do with virtue, and a part to do with mental balance or samadhi.
practice without grasping. You know, there's that saying in the Lojongs, um, um, give up all expectation of fruition because that expectation, that thinking that we need to get somewhere is part of that sense of self that, that comes from the separation from the rest of the universe. If we, if we drop that, then there is no longer any sense of where could you attain anything from if it's all your own body, you know, it's all your own mind and your own body. So um, that's where we'll stop hearing from me and just have time to look at some questions. Um, I did manage this week to make a few um, sheets with the questions on. Um, so we can pass these out. And Hanya, they're at the bottom of the document that I shared with you. And um, it's not enough for everybody, but you perhaps can share. Um, just as a sort of as a little final thing, this is from the Majamaka School, just to sum up where we've sort of been going in this session, is um, uh, this is the, the teaching of the Majamaka School. Uh, because things arise from causes and conditions, it cannot be said that they have genuine existence. Because things arise from causes and conditions, it cannot be said that they have no existence. This sort of captures, it captures the, the, the essence of the teachings of the, of the Heart Sutra. So, Hanya, you guys... Um, I've forget, forgotten what we need to do. We need to. I need to leave you, leave the meeting. I guess. Is that right? <laughs> okay, you're all still muted, so I'm not hearing you. But it's. Oh, sorry. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've got the questions on chat. Okay. So I hope I hope you've had a reasonable experience of this. It's been a little difficult with the charts, but but hopefully it's worked out okay. Uh, I've, just done, I've just done that uh, muted to say thanks, Sensei, um, because I won't be there next week. Okay. Well, we we will um, we are recording, so um, we can we'll get those up at, at some point. I'll download yeah. it from the web. Yeah, yeah, via podcast. Thank you very much. It's been great so far. Good. Well, good to see you, Emily. Thank you very much. Bye, bye, Sally and Hanya. Bye, bye. Thank you. Bye. I'll just um, mute Sensei. So. Gone. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So now we're free of such things. Could you could you just repeat the last two lines that you you finished with before? Because things arise from causes and conditions, it cannot be said that they have genuine existence because they're flowing, they're they're shifting. Because things arise from causes and conditions, it cannot be said that they have no existence. Something there is something, but it's not quite what we think it is yeah okay so um, does everybody have a copy of the questions um, <coughs> so the first one oh, well first any questions or any comments we don't have to follow these to the letters just more uh, yeah. people wanting to. <coughs> how do you actually relate to that? the okay. last, last one on this how do you feel when you hear um, about attainment to as yeah. emptiness so the last two lines uh, how do they go again um no, wisdom to attain, attainment to is emptiness. It doesn't say that um, wisdom to is, is emptiness. It says attainment to is emptiness, right? So um, when I hear that, I kind of think, oh, so, so wisdom itself is not a problem. <laughs> it's just 
think it really changes the problem. <laughs> that's right. And that's, yeah. that's right, and I think that's what Master Sheng Yen is supposed to be is trying to express with that image of the balloon, which it's got air on the inside as well as on the outside. So when you finally pop the balloon, it's not like this. Some um, you're in some new realm. You're just in the same place, except without the that sense of a division between you and others, without a sense of separation. That's what the sense of separation is, which is attainment. I attain something. Yeah. Yeah. Any other? Any other? Let's go with that one. Since we're with it, how do you feel when you hear that attainment too is emptiness? Makes trying pointless. What's that? <laughs> My first reaction is that it makes trying pointless, but that's that's <laughs> just not right. What if you were to practice without that trying? trying? Hmm. Yeah. 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 Spent a lot of our life trying that, and I guess that's that's some of the problem, isn't it? <laughs> trying to do this. Yeah. What would what would practicing? Even if it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's I guess what is what would practicing? What would trying without trying look like? Yeah. Any other thoughts on that one? I was thinking substituting trying for forcing, like not to force it. You still you're still trying to get somewhere, but forcing something to try to forcing yeah. it to happen is is counterproductive. Yeah. And that trying to get somewhere is one of the things that brings us to the mat, so we also have to respect it as a as it's the aspiration to pre to awaken. But once we're on the mat, not to force it. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess you, you can sort of decide to do something like sit something or weed the garden or whatever it is, mm. um, and then but when, you, when you're actually doing it, you don't think about that sort of reason why you did it anymore. You just do it. That's right. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly it. Get rid of the idea of a person doing it and a thing being done. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Just do the dishes. Anything. Ignorance and Mara the same thing? Mara is like a personification of our ignorance, yeah. So in the seed store and the action, if the Mara is in the seed store and goes to the action, becomes negative. At what point do we cut it off? Do we try to cut it off? Or do we let it come and let it go? If if we if we maybe we see um, we rec we recognise that when an impulse that comes that is going to in, you know, reinforce our sense of separation we may at that point be able to um, stop it at a at a thought and not move into an action or into a speech a sensation. Or, yeah. Sorry. Or into a sensation in your body, which Well, you, that's already kind of that's already happened. That's the first need. Yes. So, so the sensate, the, the the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral sensation that comes with experiencing something. But then we don't need to go to the next. We have some choice about how we react. I guess that's where we that's where that that's that space there is, and we create more that space through our sitting and our setting the mind because things kind of slow down and we can see things more 
um, not that so much that they actually slow down, I think, but that our awareness catches up and so we can see successive NEN, so to speak. We can mm -hmm. see the impulse coming up and then we might have a... So say say you're some argument or something you're having with your partner and you, you feel that the anger rise up and you want to say something that's hurtful, but you can catch it before you speak. And so that you're not sending, you, that the impulse is coming up, you could say from your Laya Vijnana, that habit of reacting, but you can catch yourself before you, make, you say something and so you're not sending, planting another seed or reinforcing that particular habit of mind. That makes sense. Yeah, this is the, in the um, the Diga Nikaya of the Parasutas, is the first six of them. But the uh, they talk about guarding the sense doors. Yes, that's that non-leakiness. It's, it's the same thing. You think of our six sense doors as as being um, the the things that come in, things that come in and in and out through those doors. Um, and it's like we, if we think something is outside us, so say I think um, there's a very, very um, delicious-looking cake on the table, and it's like from my the door of my visual the sense visual sense door, it's like my energy goes out towards the cake. Oh, I really want to have a piece of that cake. That's that's kind of an energy, my my psychic energy that has gone out through that sense door and is now. Uh, caught up in the cake um, that to be able to see the cake without that um, kind of oh I want to have some <laughs> on top of or perhaps even no even no I maybe you have the oh I want to have some but not my life depends on it you know and my happiness <laughs> depends on it <laughs> which is actually this clinging one the sense of going down to the not the desire so much as the clinging to desire you have the experience but you can also mm. not go that bit further and think that everything depends on it. What about um, we chant no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. Who or, or what is doing the chanting? Or when Waker says to Bodhidharma, I've searched for my mind everywhere but cannot find it. And that's, that's you know, the story of Waker standing in the snow waiting for Bodhidharma to give him a teaching. And, and Bodhidharma says, bring me your mind and then after some time, we don't know whether it's days or weeks or months, Dweka comes back and says, I've searched for my mind, but I, don't, I can't find it. And then Bodhidharma says, I, then I have set your mind at rest. So what, 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 is, what was Dweka searching with? mind that thought that, that, that his mind was outside of him. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's just an idea, but isn't it? That's not the mind. <laughs> yeah, but, but we could also say that's the, that if we, if we, um, that this is kind of like the whole, sort of the core of the Zen tradition is how do you answer that question? What, what, what was it that Bodhi, that Huayker was searching with, and what, what, in what sense did what he couldn't find set him at, at peace, at rest? You know, that's not just, you know, to be able to explain it, but to be able to know it for ourselves. What, what was the answer to that question?
so in a, in a sense all of this is um, uh, you know fingers pointing in the direction of the moon but they're not they're not the moon itself they're not they're not the mind and yet they are <laughs> yeah, it's a non-existence and the and the emptiness what about um, the second one how do you get rid of ignorance Knowing it, there's a big emphasis on this on in the Tibetan tradition of um, you know thinking in terms of transforming, not getting rid of, but transforming ignorance. If you see where you have been blind, then ignorance becomes wisdom. I think we'll stop there because we've already looked at the next question a bit when we're looking at the charts. But any last any last comments from people? Any? So, oh, I've got this. Where is it? What have I done with it? John, can you pass me that folder? So, um, I hopefully got enough. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I think I've got 11 copies, so that should be all right. Um, this is the list of this, um, the uh, five skandhas, and they do, different schools have slightly different lists, but this one um, comes from a book called The Dharma by um, Kalu Rinpoche, and there's a, an appendix which gives the, the outline of the five skandhas. Um, so, yeah, there can be different, little different um, variations between different versions of it, and that's important to remember that Again, it's just one way of slicing the pie, um, but but hopefully it can be quite helpful. Um, I hope we've got enough. If we haven't got enough, then whoever doesn't get one, I can send a, a PDF to them. Do, do you see quite a close overlap between those 12 links and the scandals? Yes, yeah, you can identify. If you look at the tw 12 links, you can... Um, actually, they're they're in there. Aren't they? they're, they're in there in different, different <coughs> ways of breaking it down. Like so consciousness comes first. Yeah, and, and the scandals it comes last. Which I guess suggests that they're a cycle. Actually, that brings me to another chart. No, totally <laughs> but it, it just comes from Tetnahan, and you know, so one one way of seeing this is in a temporal form, with being three different lives: past life, present life, future life. Um, but you can also understand them as all active all the time in us, and um, this is a classic sort of technical kind of thing, in that um, you've got every single um, link in the chain reacting and interacting with every other link in the, in the chain. So um, seeing them as more like a, n a network or a web of influences, or all arising, you know, all arising at once, 
um, in terms of our um, sort of psychophysical being. You've got um, uh, or the state of flux, the whole lot of them. Well, yeah, or inter or um, interdependence. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just another way of looking looking at them and thinking about them. Isn't there a danger with this Abhidharma stuff, all these details of the scandals of getting so intellectually involved, trying to sort it out, where it's, it's far better just to sit on the cushions and practice? Um, yeah, I think that is the danger with them. Um, but you could also, sometimes you can um, uh, just not get to not to get too caught up on them, but just sort of have them in the background and just use them. As sometimes in your practice, it can be helpful to recognise what's going on. I could give you give you a funny example, which happened last week after being. I had to get up really early because I hadn't got my notes finished, so I did that in the early morning. Then I came to the centre earlier than I usually do um, to get ready and stuff. And then I went in the zendo, and then I came out of the zendo again. Um, and it was it was ten past it was twenty past um, eight, and there were just three of us here, and I immediately thought, um, oh, no, everybody's staying away because they hated the Dharma study last week, and <laughs> and so they're all staying away, and um, there's going to be nobody to talk to at, at the, and then to realise that that was. You know, I wasn't just experiencing things as in, in neutral form as seeing an empty zendo or no shoes in the, in the um, entrance there, but that um, I was experiencing it as negative. So that's, you know, that's the, the dhanas. So I experienced it negatively. And that that negative experience was being coloured by habit patterns from my um, uh, uh, mental formations. So the seeds and the mental formations were making me see that in a certain way, and it was relating back to my own judging of myself as and the and the the uh, so you could say lack of lack of confidence or whatever you like to call it um, was colouring my experience at that moment, and actually just being a, oh and I, I really smiled because okay here they are here are the skandhas working and uh, and then then be able to have some humour around it. And then, of course, everybody showed up at, at um, 8.28 uh, <laughs> and the zendo, zendo was full. So it was an example of my perception being completely wrong. You know, and that's the thing. Perception is deception. We, can, we have to question all the time to, you know, to question our perceptions uh, because they can be... And they, that, that perception, I had an emotional reaction to it... Um, and that you know brought up the affl afflictions, but to see it, to see that process, and to see how, okay, yeah, yeah, that was the, that was the samskara, the mental formations, um, shaping what I was experiencing, and so yeah, could, can be helpful in that way, I think, but yeah, you can get, and this is why the Heart Sutra, you could say in a sense, why the Heart Sutra was written, it was to counteract that tendency to get to just intellectualize and um, and get very obsessive compulsive you could say and all very very tied up in these things but um, we also have to 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 respect it as well you know as being as being a, a, a containing a lot of wisdom in terms of what's wholesome and unwholesome but it's interesting because this list doesn't include gratitude doesn't include compassion <laughs> So there are different ways of you could find them in other other 
other aspects of it, but it is just one way of, of dividing up um, experience. And it's, it's, um, it's not the thing itself. So you have a look at it over the week, and and then if if you have any questions about anything, we can look at those in the next in the next um, discussion group that we have. And um, who did we have? Emily, Sally, and Hanya online. So I'll email it to them. Okay. Thank you for sitting around. It's long. If anyone wants to sit out, this is very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.